Swiss Family Robinson, Chapter 21, Gymnastic Exercises, Various Discoveries, Singular Animals. I recommended to my sons to resume the exercise of the shooting of arrows, for I had an extreme solicitude about their preserving and increasing their bodily strength and agility. Nothing tends more to the extinction of personal courage in a human being than the consciousness of wanting that strength of limb or that address which may be necessary to aid us in defending ourselves or in escaping from dangers. On this occasion, I added the exercises of running, jumping, getting up trees, both by means of climbing by the trunk or by a suspended rope, as sailors are obliged to do to get to the masthead. We began at first by making knots in the rope at a foot distance from each other. Then we reduced the number of knots, and before we left off we contrived to succeed without any. I next taught them an exercise of a different nature, which was to be effected by means of two balls made of lead, fastened one to each end of a string about a fathom in length. While I was preparing this machinery, all eyes were fixed upon me. What can it be intended for? cried one. How can we use it? asked another. Will it soon be ready? continued a third. I am endeavoring, said I, to imitate the arms used by a valiant nation, remarkable for their skill in the chase, and whom you all must have heard of. I mean the Patagonians, inhabitants of the most southern point of America. But instead of balls, which they are not able to procure, they tie two heavy stones, one at each end of a cord, but considerably longer than the one I am working with. Every Patagonian is armed with this simple instrument, which they use with singular dexterity, if they desire to kill or wound an animal, they fling one of the ends of this cord at him, and begin instantly to draw it back by the other which they keep carefully in their hand to be ready for another throw, if necessary. But if they wish to take an animal alive and without hurting it, they possess the singular art of throwing it in such a way as to make it run several times round the neck of the prey, occasioning a perplexing tightness. Then they throw the second stone, and with so certain an aim that they scarcely ever miss their object. The operation of the second is the so twisting itself about the animal as to impede its, his progress, even though he were at a full gallop. The stones continue turning, carrying with them the cord. The poor animal is at length so entangled that he can neither advance nor retire, and thus falls a prey to the enemy. This description was heard with much interest by the boys, who now all entreated I would that instant try the effect of my own instrument upon a small trunk of a tree, which we saw at a certain distance. My throws entirely succeeded, and the string which, with the balls of the end so completely surrounded the tree that the skill of the Patagonian huntsman required no further illustration. Each of the boys must then needs have a similar instrument, and in a short time Frisk became quite expert in the art, as indeed he was in every kind of exercise that required strength or address. He was not only the most alert of my children, but being the eldest his muscles were more formed, and his intelligence was more developed than could yet be expected in the other three. The next morning, as I was dressing, I remarked from my window in the tree that the sea was violently agitated and the waves swelled with the wind. I rejoiced to find myself in safety in my home and that the day had not been destined for out-of-door occupation. 
I observed then to my wife that I should not leave her the whole day, and therefore was ready to execute anything she found wanting in our domestic arrangement. We now fell to a more minute examination than I had hitherto had time for of all our various possessions at Falcon's stream. She showed me many things she had herself found means to add to them during my repeated absences from home. Among these was a pair of young pigeons, which had been lately beginning to try their wings, while their mother was again sitting on her eggs. From these we passed to the fruit trees we had laid in earth to be planted, and which were in real need of our assistance. I immediately set myself to prevent so important an injury. I had promised the boys the evening before to go all together to the wood of gourds to provide ourselves with vessels of different sizes to keep our provisions in. They were enchanted with the idea, but I bargained then that they must first assist me to plant all the young trees, which was no sooner said than set about. When we had finished, the evening was too far advanced for so long a walk. By sunrise, the next morning all were on foot, for nothing can exceed the alertness of young persons who act in expression of a pleasurable change of scene. The ass, harnessed to the sledge, played the principal character. His office was to carry our dinners, a bottle of canary wine and some powder and shot, and to bring home our service of empty gourds. Turk, according to custom, led the way as our advanced guard. Next followed the three eldest boys, equipped for sporting. After them, the tender mother, leading the little one, and Flora brought up the rear with the monkey on her back, to which the boys had given the name of Nips. On this occasion, I took with me a double-barreled gun, loaded on the one side with shot for game, and on the other with ball, in case of meeting with an enemy. In this manner, we set out, full of good humor and high spirits from Falcon Stream. Turning around Flamingo Marsh, we soon reached the pleasant spot which before had so delighted us. Fritz took a direction a little further from the seashore, and sending Turk into the tall grass, he followed himself, and both disappeared. Soon eager for sport, we heard Turk barking loud. A large bird sprung up, and almost at the same moment a shot from Fritz brought it down. But though wounded, it was not killed. It raised itself and got off with incredible swiftness, not by flying, but by running. Turk followed, and seizing the bird, held it fast till Fritz came up. Now a different scene succeeded from that which took place at the capture of the flamingo. The legs of that bird are long and weak, and it was able to make but a poor resistance. The present captive was large in size and strong. It struck the dogs, or whoever came near with his, his legs, with so much force that Fritz, who had received a blow or two, dared not again approach the enemy. Fortunately, I reached the spot in time to give assistance, and was pleased to see that it was a female bustard of the largest size. I had long wished to possess and to tame a bird of that, this species for our poultry yard, though I foresaw that it would be somewhat difficult. To secure the bird without injuring it, I drew my pocket handkerchief over the head of the bustard. It could not disengage itself, and its efforts only served to entangle it the more. As I could not now see me, I got near enough to pass a string with a running knot over its legs, which for the present I drew tight to prevent further mischief from such powerful weapons. I gently released its wing from Turk's mouth and tied it with its fellow close to the bird's body. In short, the bustard was our own, and that in a condition to promise its preservation when we should have once have conveyed it to Falcon Stream and could administer care and kindness to compensate for the rough treatment it had experienced at our hands. 
We removed the prisoner at the, to the spot where our companion had been waiting our return. Ernest and Jack ran briskly forward and bawling out, Oh, what a handsome bird, and what a size! What beautiful feathers! I think it is a female bustard, said Ernest. And you're right, answered I. Its flesh is excellent, having something of the flavor of the turkey, to which it also in some other respects has resemblance. Let us endeavor to tame and preserve it by all means. We have gained for our poultry yard a bird of rare value on account of its size, which will, it may be hoped, attract its mate, and thus furnish us with a brood of its species. I now fixed the mustard on the sledge in a posture the most favorable to its ease. As we advanced on our way, I was frequently obliged to use the hatchet to make a free passage for the ass and the tall grass. The heat also increased, and we were all complaining of thirst, when Ernest, whose discoveries were generally of a kind to be of use, made one of a most agreeable nature. He has already been described as a lover of natural history, and now he had gathered, as he proceeded, such plants as he met with, with the view of adding to his stock of knowledge. He found a kind of hollow stalk of some height which grew at the foot of trees, and entangled our feet in walking. He cut out of them, and was surprised to see a drop of pure, fresh water issue at the place where the knife had been applied. He showed it to us, put it to his lips, and found it pure, and felt much regret that there was no more. I then fell to examining the phenomenon myself, and superseded that the want of air prevented a more considerable issue of water. I made some more incisions, and presently water flowed out as it from a small conduit. Ernest and, and after him the other boys quenched their thirst at this new fountain in the completest manner. I tried the experiment of dividing the plants long ways, and they soon gave out water enough to supply even the ass, the monkey, and the bustard. For my own part, touched with deep gratitude for the goodness of God towards me and my beloved family, I raised my eyes to heaven in thankfulness. We were still compelled to fight our way through thick bushes, till at length arrived at the wood of gourds. We were not long in finding the spot where Fritz and I had once before enjoyed so agreeable a repose. Our companions had not soon done a marrying, and wondering at the magnificence of the trees they now beheld, and the prodigious size of the fruit which grew upon the trunk. Jack and Ernest employed themselves in collecting dried branches and flints while their mother was occupied in attending to the poor bustard. She remarked to me that it was cruel to keep her any longer blinded, and her legs tied together on the sledge. To please her, I took off the covering and loosened the strings on the legs, but still left it so as to be a guard against its running away or inflicting blows on those who might approach. I tied her by a long string to the trunk of a tree that she might relieve herself by walking about. My wife now gave us notice that she would want some vessels to contain milk, a large flat spoon to cut out butter by pieces, and next some pretty plates for serving it at table made from the gourd rinds. Father, you are perfectly reasonable in your demand, dear wife, said I, and on my part I require some nests for the pigeons, some baskets for eggs, and some hives for bees. All, oh yes, these things must be all be made. We will set earnestly to work. Jack. But first, tell us how to divide one of the rinds with a string. I made them gather or collect till we were in possession of a sufficient number. We now grew, began our work. Some had to cut, others to saw, scoop out, and model into agreeable forms. 
It was a real pleasure to witness the activity exhibited in this. Our manufacturer of porcelain each tried what specimens he could present for the applause of his companions. For my own part, I made a pretty basket, large enough to carry eggs with one of the gourds, leaving an arch at the top to serve as a cover. I likewise accomplished a certain number of vessels also with covers, fit to hold our milk, and then some spoons to skim the cream. My next attempt was some bottles large enough to hold fresh water, and these occasioned me more trouble than all the rest. It was necessary to empty the gourd through the small opening of the size of one's finger, which I had cut in it. I was obliged, after loosening the contents with a stick, to get them out by friction, with shot and water well shaken on the inside. Lastly, to please my wife, I undertook the labor of a set of plates for her use. Fritz and Jack engaged to make the hives for the bees and nests for the pigeons and hens. For this last object, they took the largest gourds and cut a hole in front the size of the animal, for whose use it was intended. They had, when finished, to cry that he was not quite small enough to get into and live in one of them. Pigeons' nests was, were intended to be tied to the branches of our tree. Those for the hens, the geese, and the ducks were to be placed between its roots or on the seashore, and to represent a sort of hen coop. Our work, added to the heat of the day, had made us all thirsty, but we found nothing on this spot like our fountain plants we had, as we had named them. The boys entreated me to go with them in different directions and try to find some water, not daring by themselves to venture further into the wood. Ernest was, with great eagerness, proposed relieving me of this trouble and putting himself in my place. It was not long before we heard them calling loudly to us and saw him returning in great alarm. Run, quick, father, said he. Here's an immense wild boar. Oh, how he frightened me. I heard him grunting quite close to me, and then he scrambled away to the wood. I hear him at this very moment. I then cried out to the boys to call the dogs quickly. Halloo here, Turk. Flora. The dogs arrived full gallop. Ernest was our leader, and conducted us to the place where he saw the boar. But he was gone, and he, we saw nothing but a plot of potatoes, which appeared to have been ransacked by the animal. The ardor for the chase had been somewhat checked in Jack and Ernest, when they considered they, they had so formidable a creature to encounter. They stopped short and began to dig potatoes, and left it to Fritz and me to follow the traces of the dogs. We soon heard the cry of the latter, for they had overtaken the runaway, and soon after the most hideous growling assailed our ears from the same quarter. We advanced with caution, holding our guns in readiness to fare together the instant the animals should be within the proper distance. Presently the spectacle of the two brave creatures attacking him on the right and left presented itself. Each held one of his ears between their teeth. But it was not a boar, but our own sow which had run away and so long been lost. After the first surprise we could not resist a hearty laugh, and then we hastened to discumber our old friend of the teeth of her two adversaries. Her frightful squalling resounded through the wood and drew our young companions to the place when a warfare of banter and accusation went round among the parties. But here the attention of all was attracted to a kind of small potato which we observed lying thick on the grass around us, and which had fallen from some trees which appeared loaded with the same production. Our sow devoured them greedily, thus consoling herself for the pain and fright the dogs had occasioned her. 
The fruit was of different colors and extremely pleasing to the eye. Fritz expressed his apprehension that it was the poisonous apple called the Mancinilla, but the sow ate them with so much eagerness, and the tree which bore them, having neither the form nor foliage described by naturalists to the Mancinilla, made me doubt of the truth of his idea. I desired my sons to put some of the fruit in their pockets to make an experiment with them upon the monkey. We now again, from extreme thirst, began to recollect our want of water, and determined to seek for some in every direction. Jack sprang off and sought among the rocks, hoping that he should discover some little stream. But scarcely had he left the wood than he bawled to us that he had found a crocodile. A crocodile, cried I with a hearty laugh. You have a fine imagination, my boy. Who ever saw a crocodile on such scorching rocks as these, and not a drop of water near? Now, Jack, you are sure dreamy dreaming. Not so much of a dream as you may think, father, answered Jack, trying to speak in a low voice. Fortunately, he is asleep. He lies here on a stone at its full length. Do, father, step here and look at it. It does not stir in the least. We stole softly to the place where the animal lay, but instead of a crocodile, I saw before me a large sort of lizard, named by naturalists iguana, or iguana, an animal by nature of a mild character and excellent as food. Instantly, all were for seizing him and presenting so rare a prize to their mother. Fritz was already taking aim with his gun, but I prevented him, observing that the animal, being protected by a coat of scales, it might be difficult to destroy him, and that he is known to be dangerous if approached when angry. Let us try, said I, another sort of experiment. As he is asleep, we need not be in a hurry. Only a little contrivance is necessary to have him safe in our power alive, and the process will afford us an amusing spectacle. I cut a stout's stout stick from a bush to the extremity of which I tied a string with a running knot. I guarded my other hand simply with a little switch, and thus with cautious steps approached the creature. When I was very near to him, I began to whistle a lively air, taking care to make the sounds low at first and to increase in loudness till the lizard was awaked. The creature appeared entranced with pleasure as the sounds fell upon his ear. He raised his head to receive them still more distinctly and looked around on all sides to discover from whence they came. I now advanced by step at a time, without a moment's interval in the music, which fixed him like a statue to the place. At length I was near enough to reach him with my switch, with which I tickled him gently, still continuing to whistle, one after another, the different airs I could recollect. The lizard was bewildered by the charms of the music. The attitudes he threw himself into were expressive of a delirious voluptuousness. He stretched himself at full length, made undulating motions with his long tail, threw his head about, raising it up, and by this sort of action disclosed a formidable range of his sharp pointed teeth, which were capable of tearing us to pieces if we had excited his hostility. I distrustly seized the moment of his raised his raising his head to, to throw my noose over him when this was accomplished the boys drew near also and wanted instantly to draw it tight and strangle him at once but this i positively forbade being unwilling to cause the poor animal so unmerited a suffering i had used the noose only to make sure of him in case it should happen that a milder mode of killing him 
which I intended to try felt of success, in which case I should have looked to the noose for protection, but this was rendered unnecessary, continuing to whistle my most affecting melodies. I seized a favorable moment to plunge my switch into one of his nostrils. The blood flowed in abundance and soon deprived him of life, without his exhibiting the least appearance of being in pain. On the contrary, to the last moment he seemed to be still listening to the music. As soon as he was dead, I allowed the boys to come quite near, and to tighten the noose, which we now found useful to draw him to the ground from the large stone on which he lay. My sons were delighted with the means I had used for killing him without pain. We had now to consider of the best way for transporting to Falcon Stream so large and valuable a booty. After a moment of reflection, I perceived that I had better come at once to the determination of carrying him across my shoulders, and the figure I made was so singular an animal on my back. With his tail dragging on the ground was not the least amusing circumstance of the adventure. Fritz and Jack presented themselves as pages, contending which should support my train, as they called the tail, which in independently of the good humor spared amongst us, considerably eased me of the weight, and gave me the air of an old Chinese emperor, habited in a superb royal mantle of, mantle of many colors, for those of the lizards shone like precious stones in the rays of the sun. We were proceeding in our return, when we distinguished the voice of my wife and little Francis calling loudly upon my name. Our long absence had alarmed them. We had forgot on this occasion to give them notice of our approach by firing our gun, and they had imagined some terrible disaster must have befallen us. No sooner, however, did our cheerful notes reach their ear than their lamentations were changed to joy, and we were soon the happiest of beings assembled under a large gourd tree where we related every particular of the excursion we had made and laid the lizard at her feet. We had so many things to tell that till reminded by my wife we forgot to mention that we had failed of procuring any water. My sons had taken out some of the unknown apples from their pockets and they laid on the ground by our side. Nip soon scented them, came slyly up and stole several and fell to chewing them with great eagerness. I myself threw one or two to the bustard who also ate them without hesitation. Being now convinced that the apples were not of a poisonous nature, I announced to the boys, who had looked on with envy all the time, that they also might begin to eat them, and I myself set the example. We found them excellent in quality, and I began to suspect that they might be the sort of fruit called guava, which is much esteemed in such countries. The tree which bears them is sometimes twenty feet in height, and of so fertile a nature that in inhabited countries they are sometimes thinned and cut down on account of the quantity of land they occupy. This regal of the apples had in some measure relieved our thirst, but on the other hand they had increased our hunger, and we had not time for preparing a portion of the lizard. We were obliged to content ourselves with the cold provisions we had brought with us. We had scarcely finished before my wife earnestly entreated me. We would begin our journey home, and it appeared to me, as the evening was so far advanced, that it would be prudent to return this once without the sledge, which was heavily laden, and the ass could have drawn it but slowly. I therefore determined to leave it on the spot till the following day, when I could return and fetch it, contenting myself with loading the ass for the present, with the bags which contained our new sets of porcelain, the lizard, which I feared might not keep fresh so long, and our little Francis who began to go plain of being teared. 
I took these arrangements upon myself and left to my wife and Fritz the care of confining the bustard in such a manner that she could walk before us without danger of escaping. When these preparations were complete, our little caravan was put in motion, taking the direction of straight line to Falcon Stream. The course of our own route now lay along a wood of majestic oaks, and the ground was covered with acorns. My young travelers could not refrain from tasting them. Finding them both sweet and mild to the palate, I had the pleasure of reckoning them as a new means of support. On considering, I recognized that they were a kind of oak which remains always green and are a common production of the woods in Florida, and that the Indians of North America extract from its fruit an excellent kind of sweet oil which they use in cooking their rice. Numerous kinds of birds subsist upon these acorns. This we were led to remark by the wild and discordant cries of several sorts of jays and parrots which were skipping merrily among the foliage of the branches. We arrived shortly at Falcon Stream and had time to employ ourselves in some trifling arrangements before it was completely dark. My wife had great pleasure in taking out of her service of porcelain and using some of the articles that very evening, particularly the handsome egg basket and the vessels for the milk. Fritz was instructed to dig a place in the ground to serve for a kind of cooler and better to preserve the milk, and we covered it with boards and put heavy stones to keep them down. Jack took the pigeon's nests and scampered up the tree where he nailed them to the branches. He next laid some dry moss within and placed one of the female pigeons we had contrived to tame and which at the time was brooding upon it. He put the eggs carefully under the mother, who seemed to accept his services and to coo in return with gratitude. We concluded the exertions of the day with a plain repast and the contriving of a comfortable bed for the bustard by the side of the flamingo, and then stretched our weary limbs upon the homely couch rendered by fatigue luxurious in the giant tree. <laughs>